Welcome to episode three of the Everything Pup podcast. Today's topic is near and dear to my heart. It's all about enrichment. And I want you to take a minute and just imagine for a moment that you wake up tomorrow morning, you eat your breakfast, you have no access to TV, no books, no internet, no friends, no outdoors, nothing for the next eight to 10 hours. What exactly would you do all day? You'd probably sleep a lot, (laughs) I guess. But if this was your life five days a week, how would that make you feel? Would you be sad, lonely, depressed, angry, frustrated, or agitated? All of those things and more? (laughs) Well, sadly, for a lot of dogs, this is kind of what their lives look like every day. And although we might take them out for short walks and the occasional trip to the dog park, and we do all of that kind of dog-friendly stuff, maybe off to the pet store, the average dog doesn't really have a very interesting life. And their lives lack options. They kind of just do what we want them to do. Now, I'm a firm believer, and I talk about this all the time, but I think a healthy mind is just as important as a healthy body. And on this episode, we're going to talk to my very first podcast guest, dog trainer extraordinaire Danya Rurda on how we can help your pup have a more meaningful and enriching life. This is a really, really important topic. And why don't we just dive in? You're listening to the Everything Pup Podcast, the place for dedicated pup parents to find valuable dog-centric tips, interviews with trusted industry experts and your favorite dog brands, and everything else you need to become an informed advocate for your best friend. Now, here's your host, Holly Montgomery. Welcome back, everybody. So glad to have you here, and I am super excited. I'm sure that you guys aren't nearly as excited as me, but (laughs) this is my very first interview for the Everything Pup podcast, and I'm so excited to have a longtime friend here um, by the name of Danya Rorda. Did I pronounce that right? You did. Yay! (laughs) So... I always get this story wrong. You and I have talked before at different occasions on Facebook interviews and that sort of thing. And I'm tr- I always try to remember how far back um, our relationship goes and how long ago we met. And in my mind, it was with an organization called Boxer Rescue Canada. Is that how you remember it too? <laughs> it is. Yeah. I'd probably been into your store a couple times, but it was definitely through Boxer Rescue. Um, so that would be... Oh gosh, probably 13 years ago. Isn't that crazy? Um, that, yeah, that I had th- those dogs that put us together. So. Yeah, totally. So Donnie and I have a history of boxers in common. Um, when we worked with Boxer Rescue Canada, I know what I did there was I photographed adoptable dogs and you and I worked together on doing a charity calendar. Um, were you, at the time, were you training with Boxer Rescue or was that before you got into training? That was before. So um, how I got there was through that, through one of those dogs. Um, I had uh, very briefly fostered a dog who was, uh, the adoption papers were signed within about three days. Um, (laughs) And she was the dog who got me into training. And was that who I think it is? That's Kada. Yeah, that's Kada. (laughs) Yeah, I knew Kada pretty well too. And she's no longer with us. She's at the bridge with my three boxers that you met when uh, we met as well, but um, sure they're having a ball up there. They're boxers, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they can't not have fun. <laughs> okay, so let's get down to it. Um, 
first of all, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and um, how you got into dog training? Mm-hmm. Uh, so as I mentioned, it was uh, Kata that got me into training. I was already interested in in dog training and enjoying taking classes with um, my other boxer at the time. I had multiple foster dogs before her who I enjoyed taking the classes and, and just loved, liked the training piece of it. I didn't really realize at the time how much more training pieces there was. <laughs> um, but that's really what got me into it. So she uh, ended up having multiple uh, behavior issues. And so that really got me down the behavior route and digging deeper there in order to help her and then now using those skills to help others. I think that's so cool because when you're telling that story, I had the exact same story with my dogs, except my dogs had, um, I guess, medical problems. So they were medical problems that were due to nutrition, but it took a really long time to figure that out. And it was me digging deeper and exploring how to fix them because nobody else really seemed to have any answers um, that brought me into the the nutrition, uh, down the nutrition road. So it's the exact same story with you. It's so cool how our pets do that for us. Hey, it's... They all come to us for a reason and they just, and now this is your life path because I know before you were, you were working a different career as well. Same here. Um, And now you're a dog trainer. So tell us a little bit about, um, I see, I know that you have a lot of letters behind your name (laughs) and I see one thing here, a certified family dog mediator. What is that? So that's a new, uh, the newest one on the list. Um, it was a course I took very recently uh, through Kim Brophy is her name. And really what the Family Dog Mediator Program is looking at things through more of an ethological lens. So what that means is um, the reasons why behaviors are happening uh, and more from a, rather than in, say an environmental lens, but more of a um, genetics, what that individual's genetics lend to that behavior, uh, what their environment lends to that behavior, uh, what their learning history lends to those behaviors. So really digging deeper there. Um, to give you an example, um, if we look at herding breeds as a, as a good example, they, many of their traits are, are traits that were selected, were bred for. And so the Family Dog Mediator Program looks at how do the issues that we see in herding dogs today, where did those come from, right? And, and they were functional behaviors before. And so how do we best deal with those now? I've always felt um, a little bit more, rather than using the term dog trainer, I've always felt like a couple's counselor almost suits me a bit better sometimes and matching, this is what the human needs, this is what the dog needs. And um, yeah, how do we find a happy medium between everybody? And so that's really where I found this program really sort of um, blended those together nicely. Oh, I think that's so cool. It's almost like psychology. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. Dog psychology. <laughs> In a way. That's really neat. So let's get into the mm-hmm. subject of enrichment. And you and I have talked about that before. We've had workshops on it and that sort of thing. And it's a subject that's kind of near and dear to my heart. I specialize in nutrition, but in my mind, nutrition and a healthy mind, they go hand in hand. Your body and mind have to equally be healthy for anybody to actually feel great. So um, enrichment is one of these, I guess it was up until recently, kind of a buzzword and not really, people didn't really know what it meant. But even in the last five years, it's just kind of exploded. And 
that makes me really happy, probably makes you very happy. (laughs) But I would love to hear from your point of view, what exactly outside of the buzzword is enrichment? There's quite a few different definitions of enrichment, a couple that I like, but I think the one that's the most relevant to our, our lives with our dogs is learning what our dog's needs are and then structuring their environment, their environment for them to allow them as much as we can to meet those needs. So if you're talking about, say, we were talking about Great Pyrenees, um, if you had a Great Pyrenees living in the city with you, <laughs> good on you. <laughs> but if you did... Um, enrichment would include finding activities that might, um, give that dog an, an opportunity to use some of those, um, skills or I guess, um, not skills. What am I trying to say? Yeah. Those, those natural behaviors for them, right? Those behaviors that, um, yeah, are coming naturally to them. So what would be some of the signs that a dog isn't getting enough enrichment? What would that great Pyrenees be doing? Why would you be called? You kind of mentioned a few of those things, but um, maybe let's bring up another breed of dog, like a, a beagle or a, a herding breed or or something like that. Or let's talk about a Jack Russell. What might they be doing? Yeah. <laughs> the biggest things that we see when there's a lack of enrichment um, or, or maybe uh, enrichment that isn't quite isn't quite hitting the mark would be things like destructive behaviors. So if we're seeing excessive licking, usually their paws, so excessive licking, uh, behaviors like digging or getting into the garbage, chewing, we see demanding behaviors like whining, excessive barking, pacing, uh, stealing objects is a big one, right? We sit down on the couch and the dog goes and grabs the shoe and then we take the shoe away and they grab the remote or they grab um, whatever they can do to get attention, right? They're just kind of uh, attention seeking behaviors. And we also see overexcited behaviors. So hyperactivity in greetings, uh, zoomies, tail chasing, excessive jumping. And I also see another extreme, which is more depressive behaviors. So more listlessness or disinterest. And I think with those two, we often think of that as our dog is aging, right? So they're getting older, they're doing less. And I think as with our young dogs, we really think about providing them with more enrichment uh, and more exercise out of necessity. And as they age, when they do, maybe their exercise needs or their enrichment needs go down, um, we see more of that listlessness or disinterest. And I think there is just less stimulation in their lives. So would that even maybe be like similar to depression? Yeah. Yeah. You could certainly label that as yeah depression. So if um, I see that, well, with people, if we're not getting enough out of our lives, we tend to get depressed. There's lots of reasons why a person might be depressed, but that's really, really, really interesting. So I wanted to circle back to the comment you made about depression in people. Um, and you're so right, that is very similar. One of the things that can cause depression in people is a lack of choices, right? So we've seen that in these last couple of years, we've seen that with having a uh, lack of choices or lack of outlets for behaviors that you would normally seek out. Um, and we see that with our animals as well. When we look at our dogs specifically and really think about it, they have very little choices in their day-to-day activities. So we typically decide when we get up in the morning, what, we, what we're feeding them, how we're feeding them, um, when we're taking them for the walk, where they're walking. So there's not a lot of choices there. So that lack of choice, um, that lack of control over your own outcomes um, does definitely influence depression and anxiety. And so by giving them more enrichment, we can see that um, those are definitely ways to uh, 
treat de- uh, depression or anxiety. That's a really good way of looking at that because you can have a dog and you're giving them really great food and they live in a nice warm house with a beautiful bed and they have their toys and they have what you would think a dog would find as a perfect life. But when you mention that they have a lack of choice, I think that's actually kind of sad. <laughs> I think that we take that for granted and we don't think about that at all. But that's absolutely true. And like you said, in the last two years, and there was a, a period of time there where a lot of people were in lockdown. And I mean, even us in lockdown, we have internet, we have movies, we can stream, we have puzzles, we have all this stuff that can keep us entertained indoors. And we have the choice to go pull out a puzzle or put Netflix on or do any of that. But the dog relies so heavily on us for what they want to do. So I I suppose, I guess I'm guessing that maybe the reason why they do these other things that are, we look at as being bad behavior is at least they're doing something that they chose to do. (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of, when we look back even at, you know, over the last 10, 20, 30 years, our lifestyle with our dogs has changed so much. Our lifestyle has changed so much. Um, but our dogs were spending a lot more time outside. Many of the dogs, um, especially if we look at specific breeds, were being used for the, the functions they were bred for, um, which is not as much the case nowadays. Still some places, but not as much the case nowadays. Um, so our, their lives are looking so different. And I think we don't like to think about our animals or our dogs um, as a captive species, but they do live a fairly sterile life, right? In their, in our homes, um, it's pretty much the same every day. Um, very, you know, they have more options, but it's similar to our, our zoo animals, which is, um, that's the area where enrichment really became, became popular. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Well, enough of the depressing stuff. So (laughs) let's, um, (laughs) let's talk about how we can make things better. So what are some of the different types of enrichment and maybe some examples of each that you could, you could help us with? Yeah. Um, so there's a few different types of enrichment. Um, there's the, lots of different areas we can cover, but we'll talk about a couple, couple made ones. Um, so one of those is food. So how they're, that means how they're accessing the food, the type of food they're given, another form of enrichment would be sensory enrichment. Um, so that could be tactile, scent or taste, auditory, um, and then appropriate visual uh, um, enrichment. Physical enrichment, so things like sniffing, exploring, moving their bodies, and then thinking too about breed-specific behaviors that uh, may fall in that category. So if we look at huskies, for example, um, who are bred for pulling, um, that would be species-specific enrichment there. We have social enrichment, so quality time with their people, uh, other dogs, and if it's appropriate, other species. And then cognitive en- cognitive enrichment, which I think is the one that many of us are the most familiar with. So there would be your food puzzles and uh, and training, mental stimulation, those types of activities. That's really good because you can really you can really broaden this out for us because you're right. Even in our stores, a lot of what we uh, offer to clients are the brain stuff, but we do also try really hard to get people to mix up food and not always stick to the same dry food all the time, like at least switch per bag, you know, get a new flavor in the next bag. And toppers are a big thing. So um, just putting little bits, different things on top, like maybe a raw egg or, um, geez, like a piece of fish or anything like 
just something different to smell and taste. And I love the one you brought up, uh, visual enrichment, because I would have never thought of that before you brought that up, except I do know that every day I have a two-hour window to do work on my laptop from home in the morning, and I open my window in my bedroom, which is quite a large window, and all three dogs lay on the floor and they just stare. I We, we call it watching TV. <laughs> and we say, what's on TV today? Do you Is the deer on TV? Is the magpie on TV? And they just, they're just, is that visual enrichment? Is that what you mean by that? Yeah, that could be. And I think for some, we need to be a little bit careful with, uh, for some dogs that may not be appropriate, the, the looking out the window, especially if it's, um, that's one behavior that I'm called in for a lot is, you know, problematic barking outside the window. Um, again, very species typical behavior. Um, but if it's causing a problem, and often what we're seeing is that the rehearsal of those behaviors, so uh, barking at people that go by the house, uh, there's there's reinforcement in performing those behaviors. And so what we see is that those behaviors are showing up in other areas as well. So they may not always be appropriate, but those types of activities, um, yeah. So if they were watching that calmly, then not such a big deal. But once they start overreacting and obsessive barking or smashing the window, I used to have a dog that did that. You met him. <laughs> that would be Dante. Um, <laughs> not so much. That's too far. <laughs> Yes, and with any with any type of enrichment, we always want to look at the and at the individual and see is this appropriate for this individual. So, just as just because this is an appropriate activity for one individual to be uh, partaking in, doesn't mean it is for another. So it's always on an individual basis. So, do you have an enrichment activity that anybody can do any day, like something that um, would be easy? I know this is a lot of information, so I'm just trying to give our listeners like something uh, an easy way to start. Like you might not have to go out and buy a bunch of puzzles or um, research a bunch of DIY puzzles or anything like that. Just what's an easy thing they can do that would just make their dog's life a little bit better? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think there's lots of things that we can do at home. The biggest deficit that I see overall um, in my caseload would be a lack of appropriate physical enrichment. Uh, so I think what a lot of our for many dogs that are overstimulated easily um, or displaying reactive behaviors um, to various triggers, say on your average neighborhood walk. Um, and so I think the easiest way that we can provide appropriate physical enrichment would be to give our dogs time out in nature, giving them opportunities to sniff and explore, use their bodies, follow their nose. And it can be as simple as choosing a new route, varying the types of environments you walk in, to provide a new sensory opportunity. And this can apply for older dogs or fit dogs with physical limitations. I know one of my boxers who you know well, Nelson, um, later in his life, he had some physical limitations, but still loved to get out. And one of his favorite enrichment activities was we would park by, we would go out and park near different bodies of water. So if there was a pond or a lake, that was his favorite is just going and watching. Oh. There's an example of visual enrichment. We'd go for a little sniffy walk, but then he would love to just go and watch and couldn't do a lot of walking, but love to go and watch and take that all in. And then our younger dogs, I think really important to be able to give them uh, opportunities to freely move their body. Um, so yeah, sniff and explore. If off leash in nature is possible, I think that's fantastic. But I think second best would be a harness and a long line. Again, circling back to giving them more choice. A lot of times we're getting we're on our neighborhood walk on our six foot leash. And we're having to say a lot of 
nope, sorry, you can't do that. No, nope, you can't leave that. You know, you can't go to the neighbor's lawn. Um, and so taking them to areas where they can sniff and explore with a little bit more uh, freedom and choice is. That sounds awesome. Because one thing I do notice just on my drives to and from work is people will walk their dogs, but they're very often, for one, on their phones. So they're not engaging with their dog at all. And constantly pulling on the leash for their dog to walk next to them, not letting them sniff, not letting them explore the environment, but just basically methodically walking beside them. So um, what a nice thing to do would be maybe just let them like stand there for a while and let them sniff the area, let them sniff the pole and go in the grass or, and that's a really easy thing we can do, like stick your phone in your back pocket and just engage with your dog for that 15 minutes and let them just sniff around. And I heard something, and you can tell me if this is true, that sniffing can be just as tiring as full-on physical activity, like um, big, long walks and that sort of thing. Yes, that's very true. Yeah, using their nose is very tiring. And even more tiring than, you know, what we commonly think of as a good tiring activity for your dog, um, which is playing fetch. And not to say that fetch um, can't be appropriate in certain situations, but what I see a lot of is more of that repetitive fetch or, um, you know, lots of short walks around the neighborhood. And often I think they're better served. It would be a more natural form of exercise um, by doing more of that sniffing, exploring type of exercise. And that's easy for people. I mean, mm -hmm. who would have a problem doing that? Just just hang around, go a shorter route. You don't have to go as far and just let the dog take his time. And then you get back home a little bit sooner and the dog's exhausted. I've seen this even with um, snuffle mats, which we can talk about in a second. But uh, my dogs come to work with me, so they're in a confined space for a while. And um, I have to do things during the day just to kind of keep them I guess, interested or not bored, <laughs> trying to keep them not bored. And if they snuffle for even just 10, 15 minutes, they nap for a while after that. So the sniffing is so easy. We can totally, we can all do that. So that's great. And you mentioned that um, exploring nature off leash is ideal. And there's lots of, at least in our community in Calgary, there's lots of places you can go now where you can uh, rent an off leash park that's private and fenced. So your dog can go to somewhere safe and you don't have to worry about him because I used to have a reactive dog and I couldn't run him because he didn't get along with other dogs and we had a small city lot and uh, he never really got full exercise. And I know that that just made his reactivity worse because it just kind of, they feed on each other. No exercise, no exploring, no enrichment. And so it kind of was a, a catch 22 with us. But now there's so many choices with off-leash parks. So, and actually I wrote a blog on that for those of you in Calgary. So I'll leave a link to that in the show notes, but that would be a good opportunity. They would be safe in those situations. Yeah. Yeah. And you can even, um, trade yards with a friend for an hour, right? So, um, you can yard swap for an hour and give the dogs a new, new sensory experience there too. That's a great idea. You could do that with a neighbor, two houses down. That's perfect. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Okay, so let's talk a little about um, more activities besides the sniffing. Do you have, I know that you, I've seen these on your Facebook page before, but do you have a favorite DIY enrichment activity? Like I've seen you, <laughs> people are going to laugh at this, but collecting toilet paper rolls and stuff like that. Like, is there something, um, maybe let's talk about shredding because you brought that up at one point how, and we see that in the store, my dog always shreds fluffy toys. And are there things you can provide a dog maybe a DIY project, you know, that they could do and kind of get that out of their system. 
Definitely. And I think a lot of what I use for enrichment um, is in my recycling bin. Uh, so saving up your toilet paper rolls, paper towel rolls, um, packing paper, cardboard boxes, even egg cartons and yogurt containers. Um, and I will, you know, tuck their kibble or treats into those and you can scrunch it all up in the paper. This is a favorite one in my house. We call it shreddy supper. <laughs> and so we pack all that good stuff into the box and then give it to the dogs to unpack so they can unpack that rip shred. And like you mentioned, Holly, ripping, uh, ripping, dissecting, shredding is such a natural behavior for dogs. And uh, so often um, that's, you know, we're going and, and, and purchasing expensive toys or seeing that our, you know, couch cushions or other items are being ripped up. And it's a very natural behavior. So giving them outlets to do that, we'll see that our items are spared. That's great. And, and not taking away from their um, urge to do that, which brings them enrichment and makes them happier. So um, I know one thing that people might worry about if you're providing those activities for your dog, um, like asking them saying it's okay to go shred something, will that encourage them to go shred something that they shouldn't? Yeah, it's such a good question. I get it all the time. Um, I think the thing we need to remember is that our dogs already know how to do it. Um, if that, you know, they all come with that information preloaded, they already know how to rip and shred. Some individuals are going to seek that activity out more than others. We have some dogs who, you know, may never shred anything and another that will. I think by giving them outlets to do those behaviors on appropriate items, we don't see that happen uh, on items that are more important to us. Yeah, I think that makes sense. They get it out of their system, I guess, for lack of a better yeah. <laughs> way of saying it. Yeah. That's awesome. And I can give you um, a personal example. In my house, one of my dogs is a, a border terrier. And when he was younger, we would go to maybe it was agility class or we'd go for a, a walk in a busy area where there was more stimulation. And I really thought I would come home and have a tired dog. And what I would come home with instead is a wild dog and he was you know doing zoomies over the top of the couches I'm sure many of the listeners have had that in their own house before um one of the behaviors that he would seek out was to either rip up a stuffed toy or he would find the cardboard cat scratch post <laughs> and start ripping that to shreds and what you would see is that after that activity you could just see him just diffuse take a big deep breath like Oh, okay, now I can have a nap. Wow. And so that was a natural decompression, a natural activity that he would seek out. Um, and so I started providing him with that. Once I caught onto that trend, um, of that's what he would seek out to kind of de-stress at the end of that. I would off, you know, provide him with appropriate shredding when we came home. And now we were saving a lot more toys. And, um, and that need was being met. That's so cool. So that would kind of be like, um, us, we all have different ways of decompressing. Um, some people have a coffee, some people watch a movie, some people read a book, some people meditate, some people do yoga. So it's just a matter of getting to know your dog. So um, people really need to just kind of pay attention, I guess. And and maybe it would be a great time to have a consultation with somebody like yourself so that you can point out to, to them things they could do to maybe prevent these behaviors, things, activities they can give them. Um, cause that doesn't necessarily come second nature, I guess, to most of us that we might not figure that out. I, I noticed that my one dog who's a boxer and she has no natural boxer tendencies. <laughs> I don't know what she's bred with, but <laughs> nothing. She's a boxer, but, uh, she loves to dig so, and sniff. So we actually made her a sandbox and, um, 
we would bury things in the sandbox and let her dig them out, sniff them and dig them out. And that really worked really well for her. So it's just an individual type thing, I suppose. Like you would pay attention to your child and what they like to do, skate or dance or whatever, and then put them in those programs. So it's just, I don't see it being much different than that. <laughs> no, exactly. We're finding what, uh, what activities they enjoy. Um, and yeah, that can be, you know, driven by those genetics and it can be just, you know, like you said, your boxer maybe doesn't have any boxer, um, tendencies and that's okay. It's finding what they, what they enjoy, the activities that they find, um, calming or de-stressing or decompressing or activities that, um, that are maybe more active that they enjoy and giving them outlets to, to perform those. Love it. Love it. Okay, so we talked about DIY briefly. Now, this is kind of my area because I have retail stores, um, pet stores. But what would be, say, your top five favorite commercial enrichment products if somebody doesn't want to make their own DIY, if they just want to go to the store, Christmas is coming, they just want to load up on like five things that they could take home and um, make their pup pup's Christmas really special? Yeah, this was a hard question because I have a lot of I favorites. But my favorite would be um, probably the Westpaw Topple would be um, a favorite kind of across the board. Um, for those not familiar with it, it's almost like a, an open silicone cup. And uh, you can fill that with uh, with food. So for uh, dogs that are kibble fed, I will soak the kibble in some hot water. Or you can mix it in with some canned food and pack that into the, into the topple. And they freeze quite well too. Um, they, they wash up really easily as well. Um, so that's definitely a favorite. A Kong products would definitely be another one on my list. Similar to the topple, but I do find they have a bigger challenge level to them. So one of the things that I hear a lot is, well, oh, we tried a Kong and my dog didn't like it. I think one thing we have to remember with enrichment is always to select the appropriate level of difficulty for that learner. So the example I give to my clients all the time is if I gave you the hardest Sudoku puzzle and you'd never played it before, you'd never want to play it again, right? So we want to start off at that nice, easy level where we can get some easy wins and then build that up. So if they're brand new to enrichment devices, I think a topple would probably be a better fit than the Kong. What I do like about the Kong is we can make them more difficult. Um, and there's some flexibility there with difficulty. That's true. And there's different... Um hardnesses of Kongs as well. So you've got the puppy, the senior and the the black and the red. So um, the black being the hardest and the senior being the softest. So um, the softer being easier. So maybe starting some with something a little bit on the soft side too, but, and then varying what you put in it yeah. well, like, and how hard it is to get it out. Yes. And what I often recommend for dogs new to Kongs is putting some dry ingredients in the, in the first part. So it's like that honeycomb chamber. So first thing you put in there is some dry ingredients. And then we start adding maybe a moist ingredient and then maybe something a little bit more um, like some canned food at the top. And that way, the first part that they're going to get out is going to be the hardest. And then it's going to get easier progressively as they go. And then we can make it more challenging as they get better at that. Awesome. Okay, so that's two. That's two. So another favorite would be a snuffle mat. Um, I know you've mentioned those already. And I like the snuffle mat because it is such a encourages such natural dog behavior, right? Getting to sniff. And it's something that we can use so easily around the house to um, give our dogs a quick, you know, quick sniff, quick decompress after things like, say, barking at the window. Um, or maybe when we have, you know, visitors coming to the front door, 
holidays are coming up, having company coming over, a snuffle mat can be a great way to uh, just give them a little bit of a ability to settle down before coming and greeting the visitors. Oh, that's, that's a good idea. I wouldn't have thought of that. A lot of people probably would have done it during the visit rather than before. Yeah. And I think you can certainly do both, right? And having it there um, either before or, you know, as the guests are coming in, you can have that snuffle mat oh, loaded. Cool. And there's a million mm-hmm. different snuffle mats. In even like two years ago, there was literally one style. <laughs> and now we've got avocado-shaped snuffle mats. We've got Santa-shaped snuffle mats. We have stars. We have, there's so many different textures and little pockets on them. And you could really go crazy on a snuffle mat too. And I would say have a few because you have lots of puzzles, lots of board games. Just because you have one board game doesn't mean you don't want five. So <laughs> yeah, having that variety is important. That's three. So another favorite of mine would be the slow feeder puzzle bowls. So more of the maze style bowls. Um, I think they're a nice starter one for for most dogs. Um with, if they're just starting out with enrichment devices, I think that can be a good one. Um, and you can start to make those harder too. So rather than just putting dry kibble in them, um, you can add um, add some moisture to the kibble and then put them in so it sticks a little bit more. So those can add a little bit of a challenge as well. Um, I'll use those for raw feeding as well. And so again, that adds a little bit of challenge level there. And then number five, last but not least, uh, would be licky mats. And what I like about licky mats, so for those not familiar with them, they are a silicone mat and there's lots of varieties on the market now. Um, essentially there's different grooves in there. And so you can, uh, those are probably best for more moist foods like your canned food or raw food. Um, and you can spread those out onto licky mat and you can make it harder by freezing it. What I like about that again, is it's a very natural dog behavior and they're so versatile. So you can use them in the bathtub to give your dog a better experience. Um, I've used them while maybe brushing or grooming your dog. Um, having a licky mat loaded is a great option for them. Yeah, there's tons of those now. There used to be just the one brand licky mat, but now there's so many. My store is full of them. I have too many. I get in trouble all the time for that. <laughs> but there is a particular one you mentioned for the tub that actually has a suction cup and you can suction it onto the wall and and a lot of people use that for grooming or vet visits or, uh, like you said, uh, bathing at home. So, yeah, lots of really good choices. All right. Now, if people could just get one, what would be your favorite one? I My favorite one, it's hard. I would probably go with a topple or a Kong. Um, what I, again, what I like about them is it's something that you can have a couple of. I often recommend that to my clients of having a few on hand, have them preloaded in the freezer. Um, just like when we do our meal prep for ourselves, ideally, uh, we're also loading the, loading their Kongs for the week and we can have them to give out when you go to work. And so it's taking maybe half hour, 40 minutes of activity rather than that two seconds of the bowl and they're, you know, ready for the next activity. That's great. And they could, they could work on that either while you're getting dressed or whatever, if you're tripping on them. I have a dog that I call it front following. She walks in front of me very slowly and turns around and it's like, I got to get to work. So they could work on that while you're getting ready. Or like you said, um, not all toys are appropriate for leaving your dogs alone with, but I'd feel pretty comfortable with the topple as well. It's a pretty durable toy. So I like that. That's great. Yeah. And I think with any of these activities, so whether it's like the DIY activities or any of the manufactured toys, always important to keep safety in consideration. 
um, making sure it's sized appropriately. And I like to observe my dog with that toy a few times or with that device a few times before I ever think about leaving them with that. I want to make sure that they're going to be safe with that. That's really good advice. And another thing this comes up in our store quite a lot is people always want things that they can leave their dogs with, but um, choking hazard can be one thing. But another thing, if you have multiple pets, they can actually fight um, over high value items as well. So like you said, observing and knowing your dog or dogs very well and making sure that that's not a going to be an issue is really, really important. Um, mine never used to fight over bully sticks. They fight over those now. So things can change too. And um, now they just have everything like that in their crates and there's no possibility that they're going to hurt each other even if they do give each other the stink eye, <laughs> which does happen. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, definitely. Management when there's multiple species, whether it's um, other dogs in the home or, or other or cats in the home, any other species in the home, I always want to be mindful um, and, and know my dog that they're going to be okay sharing that item. Perfect. That's great. This has been such an informative talk. I've so enjoyed having this conversation with you. I just, I can hear the heads exploding because I feel like there's so much valuable info here. So thank you so much. I would love it if you could tell us where our followers can find you online. Yes, thanks so much. Um, so you can find my on my website. So that's www.whiskersandwagspetservices.ca. Um, that's got a fair bit of information. You can also follow me on social media. I'm both on Instagram and that's at whiskers underscore N underscore wags or on Facebook at whiskers and wags pet services. If you're looking for really good enrichment ideas, I suggest highly suggest you go follow Donya. Um, I always like watching what her dogs and her clients dogs get up to lots of valuable information on there. So thank you so much for joining me today, Danya. I was so happy to have you as my first guest. Yay! <laughs> Thanks for having me. It was a blast. Yeah, and I hope we'll have you back very soon. Bye for now. I'd love that. Thank you for listening. If you loved this episode, please subscribe and share with your dog-loving friends. The information in this podcast is not intended to replace veterinary care. Always consult with your veterinarian for diagnosis and treatment of your pup.